Good morning. How are you guys doing? All right, we're going to be in John 15 today. So once you, if you have your Bibles with you or your, your app, you can uh, tap or flip to John 15. Um, and just as a way of intro um, about John 15, in case you're wondering um, why are we in the book of John today, um, <clears throat> John is a unique among the Gospels um, for many reasons, but um, it's, it's a book that um, is deeply personal to me, and, um, and as part of my story, I grew up Christian, grew up in a Christian home. Um, I grew up going to church, got baptized, went to college, and I was still, um, kind of came back from, from uh, my first year of college and was really just searching, and I found myself in this really strange place where I was searching for happiness, searching for life, and on a car trip with my parents, read through the Gospel of John. So even though I kind of grew up Christian, so to speak, I actually had this experience reading through the book of John from cover to cover on this car trip, this road trip, and got saved somewhere along the way between John 1 and, and the last chapter. And it's always just been this really powerful story to me. And it's the only gospel that um, actually kind of bears its soul a little bit about the intent of its writing. John really wants to elicit belief in Jesus Christ. He really wants you to know and love and believe that Jesus is the Christ, that he is the living God. And he invites in multiple times throughout the book into that in a very direct way. Now, as we were going, we're doing this summer series through parables, and I was going, oh, John's my favorite gospel. I'm going to look through the gospel of John for parables. And there, if, you've, if you look it up, there really isn't any parables in the gospel of John. So why am I teaching out of John? Well, because um, <laughs> I really want to teach out of John. Um, I actually was looking through, and a couple scholars, there's a couple places where a couple scholars are kind of, new scholarship is kind of going, oh, maybe a couple of these pa different passages are parables. John 15 isn't one of them, but <laughs> I'm just, I'm striking out today. Um, but it does the, and as I was reading, um, it talks a lot about John uses metaphor in his teaching a lot. And actually the function of metaphor is very similar to parables. I'll talk a little bit, really quickly about how they're different. So parables are kind of like the epic, like these little spiritual mic drops, you know, where Jesus says something about the kingdom and just boom, he drops the mic and it's like, okay, what does that mean? And a lot of times he doesn't even explain the meaning. The idea is that they're very short, succinct. He's comparing two things to each other. So he's saying the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. And then it grows and all this stuff. And then he just kind of leaves it, right? He doesn't really give any um, exegesis, any explanation of what it means or unpacking. He's just kind of like drops it there. And the idea and the goal of parables is really to elicit this curiosity and actually the people that are spiritually inclined, that are inclined to kind of discover more, to go search for the answer. Um, but it, it's done by comparing two things to one another. In metaphor, especially in the Gospel of John, John is really, we're going to see in this passage today, he's going to compare things together in the same kind of way. Yet the purpose of, of this passage is much more sermonic because this, this section of John is actually this really intimate discourse to his closest friends. This is his final discourse, Jesus' farewell discourse. From the end of John chapter 13 to John 17, Jesus, and then actually John 17 is this prayer to the Father after that, that discourse. This is just probably the most intimate exposure of Jesus' desire for his church, for his people, 
and we're going to drop right in the middle of it in John 15, but he's going to use metaphor to set up this concept, and then he's going to go deep into it. And so that's how it's different than a parable, because he's actually going to explain the fullness of what it means. Usually in parables, he just kind of, it's short and condensed, and then he just leaves it up to the hearer to discover what it means. So, but I, but this is, I've as I've been praying over and reading this passage, it's, it's really powerful, and I believe it's what God wants to say to us. And so it's not technically a parable, but I uh, hope you guys will give me a hall pass today. <laughs> but let's, let's begin reading. And we're going to see, again, something unique in John's writing. This happens in 1 John as well, because 1 John is actually a, a sermon on John 15. Many scholars believe that it's actually a, an expanded sermon. So if you guys want further reading, I encourage you to read the book of 1 John. It's great. But we're gonna, he's going to go over, Jesus is going to go over this theme of the vine and the branches three different times. So, you know, typically in Paul's writing, Paul's going to write this expanded, like if you look at the book of Romans, he writes this great kind of um, argument that builds and builds and builds, and it's logical and it flows from the other. Here, Jesus is going to cover the same subject three times, three ways, and we're going to kind of drill in each time getting into this, this meaning of what it means to abide in Jesus. So let's start in, in John 15. The first section is the first four verses. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. So at the start, at the outset of this picture, guys, the, the cool thing is he's comparing several things. He's saying, first of all, Jesus, I am. This is, one of the, this is his last I am statement. In the Gospel of John, there's seven. And he's going to repeat it again in verse five. I am the vine. I am the true vine. Jesus is, is giving this revelation of himself, but he's comparing himself in that to a vine. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it's going to bear more fruit. What, what we see here is Jesus is the vine, the father is the vine dresser, and we also see the branches, which are implied that it's us, but he hasn't made that explicit yet. He's going to later. But what's interesting to me as I was praying over this and, and reading this was just the reality of God. Like we aren't even, we're, we're only passively mentioned in this, in this section because God, uh, Jesus is the true vine. The father is the vine dresser. The father is the one who takes a responsibility for the growth of the vine and the branches. And then even... When we're mentioned in, in verse 3, he actually kind of breaks the camera and talks straight to the audience. He says, already you are clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. But again, Jesus is, um, is showing us his own authority and his own sovereignty in the way that he elicits this growth out of our lives. That God, first of all, God the Father takes full responsibility as the, as the vine dresser for this output of fruit. And also, Jesus being the uh, true vine, he's the source of life. This is a theme in, in, in the book of John, starting in John 1, 4. It says, in him was life. We see this again here implied in this statement, I am the true vine. Jesus is the true source of life for his believers. The Father is the vine dresser, the one who's 
tending the vine, making sure that it's healthy. If, if you walked into a vineyard today and you looked and you saw, um, you saw uh, vines or grapevines that were um, unhealthy and tattered, you wouldn't look at the branches and go, man, you branches are, are lame. You're not growing. You would actually talk to the, to the vintner. You'd talk to the, the owner of the vineyard and say, hey, why, why are these branches all crumbly and dead? And why are they not taken care of and pruned? And why, is, why are things out of control? And what I want, what I guess I feel like God was saying as I was reading this is that oftentimes we burden ourselves with why am I not growing the way I want to? Why am I not developing the way that I could? And God's taking responsibility for your growth. It's not on us to, to figure out our own, our own spiritual growth. There is a role that we have to play. There's a partnership that's going to happen. But in this, in this section, in this first ring that Jesus makes around this subject, it was just so beautiful to me that God takes responsibility. He takes authority over the growth of the vine. And there's also a play on words happening in verse 3. So he says, already you are clean. Now, that seems a little weird to us, right? He's going along. He's saying, um, every branch that bears fruit, he takes away. We're going to learn more of what that means in the next section. And then he's, and he says, every branch that does bear fruit, he's going to prune it so that it bears more fruit. And then he just turns and says, already you are clean. And, and as I was reading that, I was like, wow, that's weird, right? It just seems a little out of place for him to all of a sudden say, you are clean. That word clean there... Um, we kind of miss it in English in most English translations because it's actually the adjective form of the verb to prune. So it's really the same root Greek word that he uses for, for, for pruning can also be translated as clean or you're cleansed. And again, Jesus is referring here to this word that he spoke over the disciples as he washed their feet. They were in the upper room. They had, um, they had this final supper with their Lord and Jesus washed their feet, and he said, you are clean. He spoke a word over them. He said, you're all clean except for one, referring to Judas Iscariot. So, again, he's referring back to this thing that just happened, and he's saying, you're already clean because I've spoken a word over you. And that, to me, was like such an amazing comfort because so, so much in our lives, right, the things that happen to us or the things that we do or wrestle with, we feel unclean, right? Uh, in the midst of our sin, in the midst of our struggle, in the midst of life, how many of us, how, how many of you guys feel just unclean sometimes? You just feel like, I just need to take a shower because I just feel spiritually unclean. But how comforting is it to know that our Savior Jesus speaks a word over us, and he speaks that word, and he says, you are clean because of the words that I've spoken to you. Again, there's no mention of, of our effort in that. Jesus just comes and cleans us. How beautiful is that? And then he calls us, this primary injunction here in verse 4 is to abide in me. The NIV translates this, that as uh, remain in me. The idea is to just hang out with me, stick with me, stay with me, remain with me, abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. So in this first section, we've seen the kind of scene laid out. We've seen what the vine is. We've seen the vine dresser, we've talked about branches, we've talked about fruit and pruning, we've talked about abiding and what God really wants. Now we're going to dip into the second section in verse 5. And he says here, I am the vine. So again, he's not emphasizing as much, I'm the true vine, but he's just, he's more emphasizing the fact that he is the source of life. I am the vine. 
you are the branches. And here he makes this metaphor explicit. It was implied in the first section, and now he just says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. So now we move on from the setup of the scene to the actual stakes. What are the stakes for abiding in Jesus or not abiding in Jesus? And as I was wrestling through this, the stakes are pretty high, right? The, uh, on one hand, if we don't abide in Jesus, we're going to be thrown away like a branch and withers. The branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. This is a picture of judgment, of eternal judgment. And I'll, I'll reference back to Matt's teaching last week where he actually taught from a parables. It was actually several of Jesus's parables that were very similar to last week, the wheat and the weeds. There's the, the sheep and the goats. Jesus talked a lot about judgment. But the picture here is that if you're not abiding in Jesus, if you're not abiding in the vine, you're thrown into the fire and burned, which is, a, again, not a popular thing to, to talk about. It's not something that we like to, to get into. It's honestly uncomfortable. Even as I was reading it, it's like, wow, it's so black and white, right? Like there's either you're in and you're, Jesus is pruning you and you're growing fruit and you're, that fruit is increasing or you're not and you're, you're, you're spiritually dead and you're going to be destroyed someday. And what a tragic picture this is. But I was thinking about it. It's really interesting because, to, you know, Jesus sets out these polar opposites. On one hand, we have total judgment and destruction, if you don't abide in Jesus. And if you do abide in Jesus, then there's this picture of fruit, right? They're like polar opposites. But I've noticed in my own life, I've noticed in the life of, of our church and as believers in general, like Satan wants to pull everything toward the middle, right? He wants to confuse and almost kind of lull people into feeling like, oh, I'm, I'm cool with Jesus. You know, I'm, I'm cool with Krishna and Buddha and all this stuff, right? There's a, a, a tendency sometimes... For, for Satan to want to lull people into thinking all paths lead to God or that, oh, I'm, 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 I'm okay, you know, we're, we're okay, we're all okay, right? And then at the same time, as believers who love Jesus, he also wants to pull us away from feeling like these stakes are really high. It's just almost like, yeah, you know, abiding in Jesus is cool and, you know, hanging out with my friends is cool and focusing on my career is cool and binging on Netflix is cool. Like, right, there's all these things that can kind of pull us toward the center to feel like the stakes aren't really high. And I love that Jesus just paints this really black and white picture. And again, not that those things in life that God doesn't want us to pursue careers or enjoy the things he's created, but oftentimes we can easily get lulled into this feeling of like the spiritual things that Jesus actually calls us to don't really matter that much. Or we almost kind of, they lose their edge, they lose their, their potency. What I love about this picture is it's just so powerful and it's black and white. And Jesus says these things to make it really clear what his purpose is, what his purpose is in our lives and what he would desire to do in our lives. And it's interesting, um, I didn't talk about this the first time around, but oftentimes the pruning process 
of Jesus pruning us, we kind of glossed over it a little bit, but like that process is painful. Pruning is not fun, you know, and while that's happening, sometimes we, we almost start to question, does God really love me? Why would God allow this to happen in my life if God really loves me? Why would God allow my mom to get cancer? Why would God allow my spouse to walk away from me? Why would God allow my children to die? Why would God allow X, Y, Z? And some of those things, sure, there's, there's sin, right? We, we pay the consequences of our sin sometimes dearly. But there's a many times in our life where we are walking through seasons of darkness, and sometimes there's a, that feeling of like depression or darkness that we just can't shake, and we don't know why it's there. It's like a cloud over us. But what I was reminded of in this passage, you guys, is that God allows those things in our lives, and it's, it's not actually because he doesn't love us. It's because he loves us. It's, he's allowing us to go through the difficulty and through the storm. He's allowing us to go and be pruned because he loves us. It's actually evidence that God loves you, which is a whole different story than, being, than raising that question, does God love me? Absolutely, he loves you. He's actually allowing you to go through the darkness. He's allowing you to go through the season because he really loves you, and he wants fruit. He wants that fruit to increase, and it's powerful. Um, I heard, um, I was listening to a teaching about the dark night of the soul the other day, John Mark Comer um, talked about how, you know, his mom took him out to prune a rose bush. And it's like, when, when, you, when you do that winter pruning, you cut it down to like two inches. Like the whole plant gets cut off. And sometimes pruning feels like that. It feels like my whole faith, like what is going on? Where are you, God? Why are you silent? Why are you dark? Why, why do I feel like this wall between us? And sometimes pruning is is really fine-tuning. Sometimes it's absolutely just cutting off almost the entire plant, but it grows back, doesn't it? I mean, if you, any of you know that you've kept a bush like that, uh, or even like, like lavender, we actually didn't prune our lavender very well, and it just became this woody, pulpy, like, almost like a tree. We had to rip them out, because they just, it, out of control, right? And when you prune lavender, you're supposed to do the same thing. You just prune it down to the stump, and then it grows back, and, it, and it's healthy. And this is normal, but we sometimes, I think, feel like the things that are happening to us are abnormal or it's evidence that God doesn't love us. It's actually evidence that God loves you. In his sovereignty, in his divine power, he has allowed you to go through seasons of hurt, of pain, so that you would grow and bear fruit. And by this, in verse 8, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. So and it's interesting. The first time I was reading through this passage, I got really frustrated Part of my, uh, my personality is like, I'm like, okay, this is awesome, abiding in Jesus. How do I abide? You know, I'm like, I literally was walking. I hadn't read the rest of the passage yet, but I was like frustrated going, okay, like, what do I do, God? Like, how do I abide now? Like, what does that mean? And I'm, I'm a kind of person, I want to understand what something means. I want to get underneath it. I want to like figure it all out. What does it mean to abide? This is great. This is awesome. The stakes are really high, but now how do I do it? because I really want to do it. And in verse 9, it's funny, because he just, he answers that question. It's almost like he anticipated my, my query. I was just, like, really anxious. I was like, okay, what do I do now, God? Like, what does that mean? As the Father has loved me, verse 9, so have I loved you. And I didn't see this the first time that I read through it. A couple nights ago, I was reading this again. And I realized, this is, isn't this almost the same construction as I am the vine, you are the branches? 
because, or I am the, 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 the true vine, my father is the vine dresser, you are the branches, because as the father has loved Jesus, so have I loved you. And what vine, what, what, what vineyard owner doesn't, doesn't love and take care of their vines? I mean, if you go to an, an award-winning winery around here, the owner of, of the vineyard or the, the, ma- the master, I don't even know what they're called, the, the vine dresser or whatever, I guarantee you um, they don't take the growth of their, of their prized grapes lightly, right? They love those things. They invest everything to make sure that their vines are healthy. And in this last circle around this, this theme, Jesus, he has the same construction as the Father has loved me, as the vine dresser has loved the vine, so have I loved the branches, so have I loved you. He's saying the same essential thing that he said there, but he's saying it differently. No more is it metaphor, right? It's, not longer, it's no longer this abstract picture. Jesus is talking about love, and he's saying, the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now, this can also be lost on us, right? But just think about, first of all, just think about the human love of a father to a child. The, the bond of a love of parents to their children is the, the strongest love that I even know about. I mean, there's couples that will get divorced, but they will still love their kids to the end of their life. There's something about these children that come from you it's a different kind of love than a love that a husband and a wife share. It's powerful in ways that we can't even understand. But when Jesus says, as the Father has loved me, think about God the Father loving God the Son and the amount of love that the Father has for the Son. Again, those are both persons of the triune Godhead loving each other with a perfect, unshakable, eternal, infinite love. And as the Father has loved me, Jesus says, so have I loved you, that we've been loved with the same love that the Father has for the Son. Do you even understand what that means? Like I was, I, I was literally, as I was reading this last night, I was just, I don't even know what to say at this point, right? This is the kind of love that defies our understanding, that we could actually be loved with the same love that God, the Father loves the Son. Like, even in an earthly sense, I, 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 love, I love this church. I love Rick. I love all of you guys. But I, wouldn't ne- I would never really say, like, I love you all with the exact same love that I love my son. There's some, I mean, that would be weird, right? I mean, there's something about your own children that it's, it's an undescribable love. But Jesus is somehow saying that this is the way that he's loved us. That's mind-blowing. In this last pass through this theme, Jesus is honing in on his heart. He starts out abstract with these metaphors. He's painting this picture, and he's kind of, it's like concentric circles spiraling inward to this one point that he wants to make. And so now he's talking no longer in metaphor. He's talking straight to us. He's saying, as the fathers loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. Okay, so abiding is abiding in his love. That love is what we're supposed to remain in. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. There it is. So I remember as I was first reading through this, I'm like, how do I abide? There it is. Keep my commandments. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. So abiding in his love is easy, right? All we got to do is keep his commandments. Now, um, 
my mind, when I read this, goes to the Ten Commandments, right? It goes to the Big Ten. And Jesus showed us in the Sermon on the Mount, we're all in trouble with that, right? We can't even keep one of them. I mean, we can keep it maybe in the technical side of it, but not in our heart, right? We, we are all broken. So we're in trouble. <laughs> but what I want to um, remind us of is oftentimes when an author is referring to the word commandment, we need to make sure that we, we look first within that, that book of the Bible to understand what commandment is, because oftentimes authors will use language differently. And so, and also we're missing the picture of John 13. The end of John 13, Jesus says, um, in verse 34, a new commandment I give to you. Okay. Um, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another. So when he says commandment here, it's, he's not referencing necessarily the Ten Commandments, although that construction in John 13, 34 is a summary of the, of the Ten Commandments. But he calls it a new commandment. And so when Jesus says commandment here, he's most likely referring to the one he just talked about a, a, a chapter ago. And so he says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. God wants full joy in our hearts by abiding in his love. The way we abide in his love is keeping his commandment. And we're going to go on. I'll read on in, in verse 12. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Easy, right? We love one another the way that Jesus has loved us. Wow. <laughs> that standard, that bar is so high. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lays down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father I made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. So we have this command, this new commandment, love one another. Easy, right? And it makes sense to all of us as Christians. We just go, okay, loving one another, that's what we're called to do. But again, it's not that simple for me, because I'm, I'm neurotic, and I, and I was like, okay, God, um, anyone can love right? Anyone can love their, their neighbor. Anyone can do social justice. I mean, there's a lot of people that don't love Jesus that do really great social justice, and they do it well. They do things that, that we would all define as that's a loving action. That is something loving, but yet they don't believe that Jesus is God. They don't believe that Jesus is the source of true life, that he's the true vine. So what does this mean? What does it mean to love one another? Because obviously here he's saying the way you show that you are abiding in the vine is that you love one another. There's a lot of people that love one another that aren't abiding in the vine. So what does that mean? And then, you know, my mind immediately goes to 1 Corinthians 13. At the intro to 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter, Jesus describes these different things, or the, Paul describes these different things. He's like, you know, you could give away all of your possessions to the poor, and give your body to be burned, which I don't know of a more loving thing than self-sacrificial love for someone else. And Jesus says, or I'm sorry, Paul says, I guess it's Jesus through Paul, <laughs> says, you could do that and still not have love. It's nothing. Okay, so there's clearly something else that's a component here of what abiding means 
if anyone can do loving actions, and some people can do really loving actions, like give away everything they have and give their body to be burned and still not have love. So what is love? What does John mean when he says love? What does that mean? And this is kind of where I found myself. This commandment's great, love one another, but, but that has to mean something different than just doing loving acts, right? Because anyone can do that. And I was really kind of like swirling around this, like really wrestling with this. You know, also Matthew 7, there's going to be many people who say, hey, Jesus, we cast out demons in your name. We did all these things in your name. And Jesus is going to say, I never knew you. Casting out demons seems like a pretty loving thing to do for someone that you care about, right? But Jesus is somehow going to say to those people that did that loving act, sorry, I didn't know you. Which brought me back to kind of the central point that I feel like God is wanting to share with our church this morning, which is in the end of John 15, verse 5. I'll just read the whole verse again. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. And this part at the end just hit me like a, like a ton of bricks. For apart from me, you can do nothing. That's what makes the uh, difference. That's what makes something loving and something not. If we are in communion, if we're in relationship with Jesus, the loving acts that we do are going to be loving because we are connected. We are not apart from him. I think a lot of those loving acts that we, we talked about in 1 Corinthians 13, it makes sense, right? It's like people are doing those things, giving away their body to be burned apart from him. They're not connected to the vine. They're not actually born again. And so they can do all the loving things in the world, and I think God does delight in the fact that justice happens. He wants that, those loving acts to continue. But I believe God's heart is that he wants a relationship with each one of us. And so we can do the most loving things in the world, but we're, not, we're, we're doing it apart from him, or we're doing all the things that we're doing in our lives, we're doing it apart from him, it's nothing. That's exactly why Paul would say in 1 Corinthians 13, you can do this, but don't have love, it's nothing. It's nothing because you have to be connected, you have to be with Jesus, not apart from him. And really... Being connected to the vine means a relationship. And, and honestly, the last verse, probably one of my favorite verses in the whole New Testament, the whole Bible, is John 17, verse 3. I'm just going to flip over and read it so I don't mess it up. Um, but he says here in... Um, my pages are sticking together. John 17, 3. This is eternal life. He's going to define what eternal life is. And it's not going to heaven when we die. It's not some far-off distant thing. This is eternal life that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Eternal life is defined as a relationship. Knowing you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. So at the center of the universe, at the center of God's, God's heart for our lives is a relationship with him. And that in that relationship, the loving one another that we do is fruit. It's evidence that we really are his but we have to belong to him. So it's a, it's a two-way street, right? It's like in order for us to be his, we need to, to bear fruit. And that fruit is that, can be, that we love one another, but that love, loving one another has to be done not apart from him, but with him. And finally, I'll say this. 
why the other question, the last question I wrestled with, with the new covenant. If your kid, if you see your kids, you can grab them. Um, we're, I'm gonna we're dismissed in a second to grab your kids from preschool because we're gonna end in a time of um, of worship and communion. But the last question I have is why 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 is it a new covenant? Why is it a new commandment? If the contents of the commandment are exactly the same. Like the contents of the new covenant, of the new commandment to love one another is really the expression of the whole Old Testament, right? It's nothing new. It's, it's not like all of a sudden Jesus has a new idea and says, I'm going to give you a whole new commandment. It's the same heart that God's always had that, that the Ten Commandments express, which was love God, love your neighbors yourself, which are that one commandment. Why is it new? What makes it a new covenant if, it's, if the contents are exactly the same? And when Jesus instituted the Last Supper and that meal and communion, and when he talked to his disciples, what makes it new is the fact that we are now doing it, those commandments, from a place of having Jesus dwelling in us through the Holy Spirit. In, in, John, in this whole section, John 14, 15, and 16, he's actually in the midst of talking about how it's better that I go away so the Holy Spirit can come and abide with you. So there's this reality that we are not alone anymore, just left on our own to try to do the commandments the best we can. We are actually given God's spirit in us to help us, to walk with us, to help us love, to help us abide, to be with us. And that's why it's a new commandment. Not because the contents have changed. It'd be kind of weird if the contents changed, right? If Jesus is like, oh, I'm going to throw you for a loop and give you a whole new commandment that had nothing to do with, with the old one. But the, what makes it new is the fact that God is in us and with us and in a relationship that we've never had before with him. Um, as we close, I'm going to have Kale um, and Peter come up. We're going to get ready. And what I want to do is have you guys just, if you can, kind of close your eyes or bow your heads. Just, um, I, I just, I sense this morning that some of us may struggle with this. Struggle feeling like God loves them in the midst of their struggle. Or feeling like they're going through a really dark, hard season. And they feel alone in the midst of it. Or they feel like God has abandoned them or left them. And if that's you today, what I'd love for you to do is... Hello? Oh. Um, I'd love for you to raise your hand. If you're feeling like God, you're struggling in the midst of a season right now, you feel like God is not with you, you feel like you're alone, or you feel like you're just, you question whether you even are abiding in the vine because you feel like you're cut off from God. I would love for our church family to come around each other today and pray. We're going to take during this first song to do that. But for any of you who are feeling that way, I'd love for you to just raise your hand. Um, if there's anyone that feels like they're struggling or alone or hurting, I'm going to just pray right now and um, just ask for God's hand to be with us.